All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your grace, and you're so, so good to us, Lord. And so we just want to sit and hear from you today again, and we, we look forward to hearing of your goodness, um, hearing of your encouragement, and Lord, as only you would see fit, hearing of your exhortation, uh, not from me, but from you. And um, Lord, thank you for the warnings of of people that have lived before us, experiences that they've gone through that we can learn um, maybe the easy way if we would heed uh, those lessons. And so, Lord, we just, we just desire to do all of that today, Lord, and yet we know that only you can orchestrate all of that in each of us individually by your Holy Spirit through uh, the simple reading of your Word. And so, that's all, we, uh, that's all we're here for, Lord, no agenda beyond that. And so we just want to hear from you. We want to grow in you. We want to feast on your goodness. And so, Lord, we ask that we would do that today, uh, all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 50. Because last week we left off at 49. That is right. So today, Lord willing, we're going to read 50 to 52, which means next week we'll start up at 54, because we read 53 on Easter. Nothing gets by you guys. You've got to get up pretty early in the morning. You've got to get up with the squirrels to get past you guys. I love these uh, rural uh, colloquialisms, right? Like get up with the squirrels. I heard one this week. I'm just going to tell you a random one. I, can I tell you one this week? I heard an old friend of my dad, I was talking to an old friend of my dad's, um, who many of you know went to be with the Lord last fall, and um, he described, he said, my dad was, he said, as you know, which I did, your dad was tighter than bark on a beech tree, <laughs> which he was. <laughs> uh, he was at the same time uh, insanely as Tight as bark on a beech tree and insanely generous. And what a, what a great uh, legacy. So anyway, that's, an, that's a rural colloquialism. If I come up with another one in the middle of what I'm going to say, I might just uh, change train of thought and throw out one. But uh, you can remember that for today. If you remember nothing else, remember the phrase, tight as bark on a beech tree. And then that'll, you'll say, yeah, I got something out of that service this morning. Wow. Okay, Isaiah chapter 50, shall we? Um, uh, again, uh, we have to lay the context a little bit. The context is Isaiah is prophesying in a specific historical situation. We're in sort of the, the last half of the book of Isaiah. Um, this is really a prophetic. Uh, a lot of it speaks of the Messiah. A lot of what we'll read today, uh, speaks of the Messiah. Um, but, um, the setting is, uh, the Jewish people are going to be captive, not at the time that this is written, but the Jewish people are going to be captive. Those from the southern tribe of Judah are going to be captive in Babylon. And they're going to sit there for 70 years captive as a part of God's sort of discipline, God's loving discipline. Um, and as we've all been through discipline from our earthly parents or from our heavenly father, we know sometimes we have to maybe remind ourselves that this is loving, right, uh, as we're experiencing it. But it is. Uh, Hebrews reminds us of that, that God's discipline is loving. And so anyway, they're, they're in captivity, and they're going to return after 70 years back to the homeland of Judah and Jerusalem and reestablish uh, their Jewish culture there, their Jewish heritage, and... Um, and yet along the way, God wants to comfort them, and God wants to speak to them and, and give them a few lessons and, and encouragements and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of where we pick up in chapter 50. He says, thus saith the Lord, thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of your mother's divorce whom I have put away, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you, for your iniquities have sold yourselves? For in your iniquities you have sold yourselves, and for your transgressions your mother has been put away. And so, you know, the people of Babylon might have felt like they're divorced from God, right? You know, sometimes even people today will hear people say, I feel like God is what? Far away. Is God far away? 
God's never far away. God's never far away. But sometimes we would acknowledge that it maybe feels like God is far away. And so God's speaking to these people that are probably in, uh, you know, they're off in captivity in Babylon. They might feel like God is far away. They might even feel like God has divorced them. And so God's saying, hey, if I divorced you, you know, in those days, they would have had some, a little bit of some legal paperwork. They would have had their certificate of divorce. So if I divorced you, or even if I divorced your, your parents, you know, those that were before you that got carried off to Babylon, uh, do you have the, the paperwork to prove it? God's saying, I never divorced you. Or if I sold you off to, my, to some creditors, do you got the, the paperwork? You got the mortgage? You say, no, you don't have that. You know why you got sold off to Babylon? For your iniquities you have sold yourselves. See, God is so loving, and he's so gracious, but he's also so straight talking with us, is he not? God tells it like it is, because we need to hear it like it is. And even when uh, it's just, uh, you know, sort of the harsh reality, because that's what we, that's the starting point for our healing for our, our restoration, for our repentance. Uh, we can't repent from anything if we don't realize we're sinners, right? And this is one of the problems with, um, uh, I want to be a little bit careful. It's one of the problems that sometimes is, is communicated today, right? All you got to do is feel good and just be a better version of yourself. Well, no, all you got to do is repent of your sin, but we're sometimes afraid to use words like repent and sin, right? I like what Ephesians chapter 2 says. You were dead. Well, that's a kind of a in-your-face term. You were dead in trespasses and sins, right? And God says, you know, you that are captive in Babylon, you're there because of your sin. Make no mistake about it. You are there because you're sin. You're, sin. you're not there because I sold you off to the creditors. You're not there because I divorced you and said, hey, you're on your own. You're there because you went there. And can I suggest that if we ever find ourselves feeling far away from God, now you can't trust your feelings, but work with me on this. If you if you ever find yourself in a place, let's say, where you shouldn't be, it's because you went there. It's because you went there. And, you know, God lets us go through challenges, and it's, I'm not saying challenges are always a result of our sin, you know, or anything like that. God lets us go through stuff for our growth and for our, our you know, our sanctification, all of that. But there's sometimes that we find ourselves in a bad place because we went there. And that's what God's saying to these, to these captives. And so it's just the reality. He said, why when I came, and meaning like when I came to my homeland, when I came to Ju Jerusalem, was there no man? Because they're all in Babylon. Why when I called, was there none to answer? You know, it's like I came to Jerusalem, I came to the temple, I came looking for my people, and they're gone. Why are they gone? They're all in Babylon. Is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem it? Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. Now, can I tell you, we, as we read these verses, uh, we come across one of my favorite concepts in the scripture and one of my favorite phrases in all of the scripture. So, if it's one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture, and I'm the guy that's standing here talking, right, then it's going to now become one of what? Your favorite phrases, right? Turn back to Numbers chapter 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 21, but you know, Numbers has been described as the book that you want to read if you want to learn how to blow it in your spiritual life, right? In the book of Numbers, it's a beautiful account of uh, uh, the Israelite people uh, wandering through the desert on their way to the promised land, just whining and complaining and, and just floundering. 
So if you ever want to know, like, if you ever want to read a how-to manual on how to flounder spiritually, read the book of Numbers and do everything that the Jewish people did, right? Well, anyway, one of the things that they did was, you know, God gave them this supernatural bread from heaven that rained down every day that they could eat, that was exactly perfect for their nutritional needs, right? We call it manna. God rained down manna from heaven, right? Now, as you can imagine, if you're prone to whining, you might after a little while say, can we have some meat, right? You imagine the supernatural, your supernatural provision. Now, we would never do this, right? Our supernatural provision just literally rains out of heaven. It's exactly what we need to meet our needs. And we'd say, is that all you got? Right? We ever do that? Maybe. So they did it. And so God says, hey, line everybody up. You know, I'm going to bring some meat. And uh, Moses is like, really? How's that going to work out? And we pick it up in verse 21 of Numbers chapter 11. Moses said, Lord, I don't know if you realize it. I added that part. Lord, I don't know if you realize it, but the people whom I'm among are 600,000 men on foot. That's not counting women and children. So most estimates would be somewhere between two and three million people. And yet you've said, I'll give them meat that they may eat it for a whole month. How's this going to work out, Lord? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them, Lord? you seem to have forgotten there's two to three million people here and I don't have that capacity to kill that many animals. How's this going to work out? Numbers 11, chapter 23, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Isn't that brilliant? You know, the arm of the Lord, I mean, the Lord doesn't have a physical arm, but there's this picture. It's like the arm of the Lord, the Lord's ability to take care of his people, including you and me. It's, it's like he would say, yeah, I can do those 10 plagues in Egypt. I can part the waters of the Red Sea. I can bring you through. I can rain manna out of heaven. I can take care of you. 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 I can do this. Oh, but I'm sorry. I forgot. I can't provide meat for you. No, that's ridiculous. And the Lord's simple question to them, to Moses and to the captives in Babylon and to us is, has the Lord's arm been shortened? right? And it's a great question to ask ourselves, maybe, maybe in the privacy of our own devotional life, the next time we face a challenge. Anybody plan on facing a challenging time the next week or day or month or minute? Yeah, sure. We all do. Maybe a minute, right? Putting up with listening to another. Yeah, matter of fact, I got about another 35 minutes of challenge, right? Getting through this, right? But the Lord's arm is never shortened. And so he says here, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? God can redeem. God can redeem. You know, redeem is that word like buying back, right? Like, like, like God would take us, like God would go to the slave market. God would go to the slave market. There we are, slaves, slaves to sin. Slaves because of the stuff that we, basically because of who we are. And he buys us back out of that slave market and puts us into his family. Isn't that sweet? He says, is my hand shortened that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? God totally has that power. He wants these people that are captive in Babylon to realize that he does. And he goes on, verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, and that I should know how to speak. Now we see... This word, most of your translations have this word, me, capitalized. So now this is, we're moving into, he because he, Isaiah kind of goes back and forth a little bit. Now he's speaking prophetically, uh, and this is uh, the Messiah. We know him to be Jesus, speaking in first person. So he says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, 
that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. So he, he sort of segues a little bit briefly to speak of, you know, messianic in first person, talking about Jesus the Messiah being under the leadership of God the Father. Now we know that, you know, in the Trinity, we don't fully understand the complexity of the Trinity because we have human brains, but uh, Jesus was fully God, and yet he was submitted to the authority of the Father. And so for the record, authority is not always a bad thing, right? There's an authority within the Godhead itself. And so if we find ourselves in some kind of authority structure, uh, or under some authority structure, or over some authority structure, that's all right. That's, you know, Romans 13 tells us that God puts those things in order. And so that's all right. So uh, Jesus is under the authority of, of the Father, but through that, you see this beautiful fellowship that they have. He says, he, he awakens me morning by morning. Wouldn't it be sweet if we could say that of the Lord? He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. He wants me to be learned. He wants me to know his word. He wants to have fellowship with me. And then he goes on, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard, and I did not hide my, my face from shame and spitting. So now we see, obviously, a vivid uh, reference to Jesus. He gave his back to those who struck him. That would be the scourging that he un underwent before the, uh, the crucifixion. Uh, he gave his cheeks to those who plucked his cheeks to those who plucked out his beard. He did not hide his face from shame and spitting. You know, if somebody were, if you were in that situation, if I were in that situation, and they're spitting at me, and they're mocking me even apart from the physical pain, I think there's something I would, I, I think I would just kind of go like this, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just kind of like hide your face? He said, I didn't even do that. I did not hide my, my face from shame and spitting. And please notice this. He did this willingly. I gave my back. He did this willingly. Again, you've heard me say before, you'll probably always hear me say it as long as you listen to me. Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and he despised the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. The joy that was set before him. What was the joy? You should all... If you've heard me for more than 10 minutes, you, should re you could recite it. The joy was a restored fellowship with each and every one of us. That's why he gave his back to those who struck him. That's why he gave his cheeks to those who plucked out his beard. That's why he did not hide his face from shame and spitting. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Amazing. And what's interesting is, even in the midst of that, the Jewish people didn't recognize him, Right? When the Jewish people in that day, the ones that were actually crucifying him, you know, if I were one of the guys watching his back be whipped, and if I were a Jewish person, I would have known the Old Testament prophecies. You know, there's a part of me that's like, that's kind of creepy. Like, I gave my back to, this looks like Isaiah chapter 50, right before my very eyes. But they totally missed that. Why did they miss that? Because they had in their mind what the Messiah was going to be. Not what was written in the Scripture, but what was in their mind. What was in their mind, the Messiah? He's going to come in. He's going to do what? He's going to thump the Romans. He's going to set us free. He's going to be our political champion, right? And we, as modern-day American Christians, let's be careful that we serve the God of the Bible, not the God of our political championship, not the God of our agenda, not the God of our needs, not the God of our whatever, but the God of the Bible. And let's, let's, let's read it. Let's know Him for who, he's, who He is. And because, can I tell you this? 
I've said this before. Ephesians tells us that he, you know, he loves to bless us above and beyond all we can ask or think. If we worship a God of our imagination, we're selling him short because he is infinitely better than we can ask or imagine. He's better in nature. He's better to us than we can ask or imagine. So if we want to like, you know, we kind of, we kind of have our genie lamp God, right? Ooh, I want my genie lamp God. He's going to conquer the Romans. He's going to conquer the, you know, whatever our modern day thing is. Well, we're all of a sudden, we're immediately um, selling him short. He's way better than that. For the Lord God will help me, verse 7, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. A moth, the moth will eat them up. And so even during the worst suffering, even during the worst suffering, uh, God will help each of us, right? God will help each of us. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall, not, you shall lie down in torment. And so, you know, we're encouraged to trust in the Lord, not in ourselves. If we trust in ourselves, we lie down in torment, right? If we trust in the Lord, He takes care of us. Let Him trust in the name of the Lord. Let Him rely upon His God. You know, Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on what? Your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. And so, you know, just a simple principle here from, from Isaiah 50. God takes care of, you know, by the way, they're in Babylon because of their own problem, their own sin, their own rebellion. But God is able to redeem them. God's arm has not been shortened. And by the way, if they trust him and if they rely upon him and if they, they do what he says according to his word, you know, uh, he's going to bring them back. He's going to take care of them. And along the way, we see uh, sort of the messianic picture that Jesus does that for us. Beautiful picture that's played out. Now, as we look into chapter 51, this is a series of exhortations, sort of paragraph by paragraph. So if you think about this, this chapter, paragraph by paragraph, and it starts out with the exhortation. So if you look there at verse 1, listen to me, right? I was thinking about this morning I was, as I was kind of going over this. I was thinking maybe this would be like where I would yell, but maybe I won't yell. Listen to me, verse 1. Listen to me, verse 4. Listen to me, verse 7, right? And then, after uh, you kind of lull to sleep a little bit more, uh, I'll read verse 9. Awake! Awake! Right? And then again in verse seven, 17. Awake! Right? And then verse 21. Therefore, please hear this. And so God is calling us now to uh, get our attention. Right? And so he starts out, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Well, this would apply to the captives in Babylon who were actually genuinely wanting to love and serve the Lord. But doesn't this apply to us, right? If we just read this verse, you know, at face value, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. Is that us? Yeah, that's us. Listen to me, you who seek the Lord. That's us. And so this applies to us. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. So he says, look to the rock from which you were hewn. You know, I love this. We're all a piece. Of, think of the, a rock being hewn. I think of a, of a sculpt, sculpture work, right? Whatever you call the sculpture, the sculpture, right? The sculptor is the guy that did it. The sculpture is the work of art. Is that correct? Right. So think of yourselves as a sculpture, right? We've been sort of carved by God, right? And we can... You know, maybe even look at our lives and we can think, yeah, I remember that time he took that big chunk out. Boy, that was kind of painful. But I, I look better now, right? And there's all this various carving that he's done in our lives. And he says, look to the rock from which you were hewn. And you know, it's kind of, 
healthy sometimes to reflect on where we were and where we've come and how that process has been, right? Anybody seen this movie? I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with this right now. Uh, the uh, uh, Mr. Rogers movie, uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Not enough, all right? Uh, we saw, long story short, last night we saw a trailer of it because we'd seen the movie a week ago. And we watched a trailer of that last night, and I was like, hmm, you know, I think we're going to watch that every week for a while in our home, right? There's just something cool about that movie. It's, it's, I, won't, I don't want to give it away, but I will. It's... Mr. Rogers was an amazing guy. And so the movie sort of gives you a great picture of his life, but the subplot of the movie is how a guy can be redeemed, talking about redeemed, how a guy can be, the guy at the beginning of the movie is just incredibly bitter and full of anger and hostility and everything that just, everything that ekes out of his being is, is bitter for some justified reasons. And you see Mr. Rogers just sort of, the Lord work on this guy just through this gracious relationship with Mr. Rogers. And you see the whole thing redeemed. Anyway, one of the things that he does, and I read, read about it um, uh, later about on, online about Mr. Rogers, and this is actually uh, true of what he did, he, he's sitting in a restaurant with this guy, and there's people all around, you know. And he says, you know, sometimes I like to take 60 seconds of silence and reflect on who the people are that have made me who I am today. And so he sits there, and then this, you know, bitter guy sitting across the booth from him, and there's like this awkward 60-second silence in this and, of course, you know, the scene, everybody in the restaurant realizes what's going on. Now, all of a sudden, they're all silent. So you have this whole restaurant now that's silent for 60 seconds. And it seems like 18 minutes, right? And he just loves to reflect. And he says, you know, he likes to, he kind of makes a habit of this from time to time. To reflect, and I would say as it applies to this, look to the rock from which you were hewn. You know, it's healthy to look, maybe not to, wow, I was really stupid then, or wow, really, wow, that was a, that was a terrible thing, but just from the rock, the idea that God has been producing a work of art out of us, and how He's used, and I can think in my own life, how He's used people that I haven't talked to or seen or heard from in decades, Right? They're people that have impacted our lives along the way, and God uses them, and God may be using them to people in our lives today, and God may be using us in other people's lives today as a part of that sculpting process, right? And it's a beautiful work that He does. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. By the way, you were not real pretty when we started, basically, is what He would say. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. You know, he's talking about the Jewish nation. Hey, where did you come from? You came from a man named Abraham and his wife named Sarah. That's where the Jewish nation came from. And I love this. It's come out a few times on Wednesday nights recently, right? God deals with nations. God deals with history. God deals with cultures. God deals with people groups. God deals with, you know, world events and all of that. But God never loses sight of the individual, right? And so God takes our brains back here, even this. As you think back, God dealt with Abraham, the single man Abraham. And his wife, Sarah. And from them, he created the nation of Israel, through whom he would bring the Messiah to the world to save each and us, again, individually, right? It's a beautiful picture. God never loses sight of the individuals. Please don't ever think that God loses sight of the individuals. Don't ever think God loses the sight of you. Don't ever think that God doesn't know the number of hairs on your head. 
Don't ever think that God doesn't know your situation or what's stressing you today, because He does, and He cares about those things. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort her waste places. He will make her, de- her wilderness like Eden and the desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And so, you know, the near fulfillment here is that these people will return from Babylon back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. Uh, he's going to bring comfort the waste places. Uh, you know, he's going to reestablish the people there. But then the far fulfillment will be in the millennial kingdom after Jesus comes back following, I believe, the great tribulation. He's going to set up in a millennial kingdom, and then it's going to be like the wilderness is going to truly be like Eden, like the Garden of Eden. And there's going to be tremendous joy and, th- and gladness and thanksgiving and the voice of melody. He goes on, listen to me, my people. Again, an, an exhortation to listen. Listen to me, my people. And give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and, my, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. And so, you know, along the way, God's, again, calling these people back to, they're going to they're gonna come back to Jerusalem, back to Judah. And he says, you know, along the way, listen now. He's saying, listen now. Along the way, a law is going to proceed from me. And let me suggest to you that that is not burdensome. The law is not burdensome. It, a matter of fact, I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. So the law here, the, the do's and don'ts of the Bible, if you will, as it applies to our lives, are not like, oh man, that's so restricting. I got to do that. Are you kidding me? No, it's as a light of the peoples, right? You know, if I'm walking through the woods at night, if I'm walking through the woods at midnight, and I happen to have a flashlight, would I turn it on? Yes, Yes, I would. Why? So I don't stumble, smash my face, right? And furthermore, would I turn it on? Like I'm walking through the woods this way, right? I'm walking through the woods this way. Would I turn it on and flash it that way and keep walking this direction? Is that stupid? That's stupid. We'd call that sin. And sin makes you what? Stupid, right? So it's stupid to turn on my light and keep walking this direction. What's going to happen? I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to crash, right? The law, he says, the law will proceed from me. God gives us, not necessarily, I mean, as it applies to us, not necessarily the Old Testament law, but God gives us the law of grace, right? From Romans, we learn all that. God gives us the law of grace. God gives us his word a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, right? Tells me how to go without falling. Of course I should want to follow that. And yet we see the Word of God too often as, oh, really? I can't do that? Really? I got to do that? Really? To which I'd say, yeah, really, for our own preservation, right? You show me somebody that's been, you show me, in a spiritual sense, somebody that's been walking through life like they're walking through the woods at midnight with a, you know, and the light's shining this way, and they've been walking this way, and I'll show you an injured, wounded person. Some, and, I, and honestly, sometimes it's spiritual only. It's certainly spiritual. Often it's relational. Often it's emotional. And frankly, often it's physical. It's amazing how many times people, these people show up in doctor's offices, right? And I say, well, what have you been doing? Well, I've been walking through the woods at midnight, shining the light the other direction. It just doesn't work, right? Now, they don't say that, but I know that. I'm, that's what I'm saying. So you ever thought about doing that? Just following the law as a light? You ever think about doing that? Well, yeah. You try that for a while, and guess what? You find out there's a path there. Really? Yeah, there's a path there. So it's not rocket science. He says, my righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me and on my arm they will trust. So again, that word trust. It's a beautiful picture. 
Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. Notice this. When he says the heavens now, he's talking about just the heavens that we see. So look around. Lift up your eyes to what you can see. Look around to the earth. By the way, the earth is going to grow old like a garment. Right? Look around at the world. Look at all that's in it. Can I tell you this? From the pages of Scripture, it's temporary. This world is temporary. This earth will grow old like a garment. The world as we know it is temporary. And we need to be good stewards of it, right? But have you noticed there's a, and I don't want to get political necessarily, but if you notice, whatever, 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 let's just identify this together as com, maybe as a commonality. We all know there's problems in the world, right? And there's all various there's various political or worldly solutions to whatever the the various problems are, right? You know, if the problem is is uh, the environment, well, there's a solution for the environment. If the problem is world unrest, well, there's a, pro- there's a solution to that. If the problem is a virus, well, there's a solution to that. Can I tell you these, this? In and of itself, no worldly solution is a solution. No worldly solution is really a solution. So, f- frankly, if your political solution and my political solution don't necessarily agree, I am not going to pick a fight with you over that. You know why? Because really, in and of themselves, they're worldly. In the context of what God might be doing, yeah, let's talk about what God is doing. Because what God is doing is, he says, look up. Look up to heavens. Look on the earth. It's all going to vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it, they're going to die in like manner. We're going to die, right? But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. There's nothing we can do to shut down the righteousness of God. Listen to me, he goes on. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. Now, if you look back to verse 1, he said, listen to me, you who follow righteousness. Now he says, listen to me, you who know righteousness. So he assumes we've read the first, uh, you know, uh, the first six verses, and we've applied them to our lives. So now we know righteousness. You people in whose heart is my law. You guys that have been following the path, you've been following my law. Now listen to me. Don't fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, my salvation from generation to generation. I love how the Lord carries us along here. First, he says, hey, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. Let me suggest that you follow the law like it's a light, like it's a light through the woods. And then he says, listen to me now, you who know righteousness. Let me just give you a little heads up. You're going to face some opposition. Is that true today? As we know righteousness, as we walk in righteousness, as we dwell in righteousness, as we abide in Christ, are we going to face some opposition? Absolutely. He says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their reproach or their insults, because listen to this. They're going to be eaten up like a moth eats a garment. Anybody ever found that sweater in the closet that was there for two or three years too long? Right? Looks like Swiss cheese, right? That's how your enemies are going to be eaten up. Don't be afraid of their insults. Don't be afraid of their reproach. But my salvation will be from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength O arm of the Lord, awake as in the, ancient, in the ancient days, as in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and opened the serpent? Now, we know Rahab to be that woman in Jericho that lived along the wall, right? But Rahab is also a Hebrew reference to Egypt. So in this context, we're talking about Egypt. Basically, it's a, it's a sort of a poetic word for Egypt. So he's reminding us, again, as we looked, you know, to the rock from which we were hewn, Uh, and as it applies to the Jewish people, awake, put on strength, awake as in the days of old when, uh, when Egypt was 
dealt with and wounded the serpent. Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that'd be the Red Sea as they crossed it, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So again, a reminder, you know, as we're, as we're walking in righteousness, as we're walking according to the light of God's law, God's word, we're going to have some reproach. We've got we to gotta kind of deal with that, right? And again, along the way, the encouragement that he gives us is, hey, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that the last time you faced a big sea, I parted it. And my arm has not been shortened. And by the way, if I need to part that sea again, I'll do it. Because my arm has not been shortened. And so he, it's just a beautiful encouragement, I believe, for God's people even today. You know, I, the redeemed cross over back in those days, so don't forget where you came from. Verse 11, so the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so, you know, don't, don't get complacent. Don't forget where we came from and know that uh, we'll never forget. We need to never forget God's goodness. We shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So he wants the captives in in Babylon. He's encouraging them to wake up, to come back to Jerusalem. And when you come back, come back with singing and with joy. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and the son of a man who will be made like grass? Can I just pause there for a second? You ever been afraid of a human being? You better raise your hand if you've ever been afraid of another human being. Like that human being is in your face, right? Or maybe that human being is like, uh, you know, some kind of world leader. You're a little bit afraid of him. Or what could happen, right? I remember the Cold War back in the 80s. And I remember the... Maybe it's just the, I don't know. But I remember in the Cold War in the 80s, people always talked about, you know, so-and-so's got their finger on the button. Do you remember that? Is it just me? Okay, well, I don't care if it is just me. I'm talking. So I remember back in the 80s, they were like, you know, I forget who the Russian president was in those days. Um, There's a couple of them. Anyway, I do well to remember who the American president was in those days. But, you know, they had their finger on the button. And all they got to do is push the button. And the world as we know it is done. Was that unsettling? Yes. yes. Thank you. That's unsettling. Yes. Does God want us to be that unsettled? Not at all. Not at all. He said, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die. By the way, all those guys I just talked about on both the American and the Russian side are now deceased, right? Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? By the way, is Jesus deceased? No, No, not at all. And the son of man who will be made like grass and you forget the Lord, your maker. Don't forget the Lord, your maker, please. The one who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, you have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. Don't worry about your oppressor, whoever your oppressor is, whether it's a political figure or or your next door neighbor. Don't worry about your oppressor when he is prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? Don't worry about that. Don't forget the Lord, your maker. He's the one who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. Verse 14, the captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name and I have put my words in your mouth. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. And so God is encouraging these captives to go back. It's interesting, as I, as I read this, okay, number one, I, I see this application for us today, right? There's so much of this chapter that I believe applies to us today. But the, you know, and if, if you will, keep in mind the captives in Babylon. What he, he's really wanting to encourage them. 
And for their situation, their situation is they're captive. He's going to bring King Cyrus to overtake the Babylonians and release those people and say, hey, whoever wants to go back to Jerusalem and Judah, go back and settle it. Go back and build your temple. Go back and reestablish the worship of the Lord according to the Old Testament law. Go back and do that. Can I tell you what's interesting? We know from Ezra chapter, six, chapter 2, verse 64, you don't need to turn there. From Ezra chapter 2, verse 64, Ezra tells us that when Cyrus did in fact come and take over the Babylonians and basically open the floodgates and said, hey, all you Jewish captives that want to go back to Jerusalem and to Judah and to resettle and to serve your God the way your fathers did and just and and all of that. You want to go back and I am giving you a free pass back to the promised land. Ezra chapter 2 tells us that 42,360 people went back. Now he doesn't tell us how many people were actually there. But most commentators and I would agree with them would suggest 42,360 is a lame fraction of the people, right? And so here's what God would tell us today, I believe. You know what? I give you a light to shine through the darkness. I comfort you. I am the God that laid the foundation of the earth and stretched out the heavens. I'm the God that's been sculpting you like a supernaturally amazing artist since you, were, since you were born. I'm the God that's been doing all that, and now I'm the God that paves the way for you to just walk back to your promised land and resettle. And you know what too many of them did? They said, you know, we're kind of used to chilling here in Babylon. That, does that speak for today? You know, Jesus offers us abundant life. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. What does that mean I have to, like, wake up and read my Bible? No, it means you get to. Does that mean I've got to, like, be nice and act like Mr. Rogers? No, you get to. 42, it strikes me that 42,360 people, and Ezra gives us that specific of a number. That's interesting in itself. Yes. Ezra gives us that number. 42,360 people went back. The rest just chilled there in Babylon. A lot of pagans, a lot of idol worship there in Babylon. That's okay. That, you know, boys will be boys. What's the harm? You know? I'm kind of settled here in Babylon. It's not all bad. The food's pretty good. The gardens I hear are amazing. You know what? It's going to be one of the seven wonders of the world. There are those gardens that we get to look at every day. 42,000 went back. That's a sad statement. And I believe today even there's a remnant. There's a remnant of God's people that want abundant life. It's available to us. We have God's Word and God's Holy Spirit. What else do we need? What else do we need? We have His Word to tell us what to do. We have His Holy Spirit to empower us how to do it. I mean, it's not any more complicated than that. We don't have to get any more religious than that. We have God's Word. We have God's Spirit. It's available to us. All we got to do is feast, right? But know this. On the day that... that opportunity was given to the Jewish captives. I believe a small fraction of them took him up on it. And I believe a small fraction of God's people today take him up on what he has for us. But believe me, I can say this from firsthand experience. I've tried to live the abundant life and I've tried to live the compromised life. And guess which one is more abundant? The abundant life. And I've lived long enough, and I'm old enough to say, man, I'll tell you what, I don't want to waste another minute doing worthless, 
nonsense. I don't want to waste another minute doing worthless nonsense. I want to be intentional. Don't we want to be intentional? If God says go, I want to say I'll be first in line. Because I know that's where the that's where the blessing is. I might think the blessing is over here living for myself and taking good care of myself and preserving lots of me time and all that, but I've lived long enough to know that that's a lie. That's a lie. So God says, go. Verse 17, awake, awake, O Jerusalem. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord, the cup of his fury. You're, you know, you're there because of his punishment. Okay, I get that. You've drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. There's no one to guide her among all the sons she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things you have, you have in common, have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and the sword. By whom will I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They're full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. And so, you know, they receive the punishment. But now it's time to wake up and come back. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. He said, I'm, re I'm removing that punishment that you've, you've had that punishment now for a season. I'm removing it, but I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you. Now I'm going to put it into your in, in the hand of your enemies. Who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you, and you have laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. And so, indeed, God inflicted punishment on the Babylonians, right? The punishment to the Jews was for a time, but now God is uh, um, releasing, the, he wants to release the Jews. He, he wants them, even though they've gone through times of difficulty, he wants to lead them in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, just like he does us. Chapter 52, he carries on. Awake, awake, he continues this idea of exhortation. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the circumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. I'm sorry, for the uncircumcised and the unclean. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourselves from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And so, uh, you know, now he's saying, uh, go to Jerusalem and sit down there. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Go back. Leave, leave captivity. Go back. Settle there. Hang out. Chill. Abide. What does he tell us? John chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. Can I tell you this? We want to bear much fruit. We want to bear much fruit. We want our lives to bring glory to God by bearing fruit. We need to not be influenced by wickedness. We need to shake that off. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck. Shake it off. Verse 3, or verse 4, I'm sorry. Verse 3. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. So God redeems us, even though we don't deserve it. God brings them out of captivity. God brings us out of our captivity to slavery. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. And so, you know, they gave themselves away. That's why they're in captivity. Uh, and yet we need to realize that our tendency is to give ourselves away. To what? Sin, selfishness, complacency. Right? God's talking about their sin. And then God even addresses their complacency. But God wants us to redeem us. God wants to redeem us and that we may know his name. 
Then he goes on, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices with their voices. They shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So it's good to break forth with joy. It's good to sing together as we realize how good God is, right? And so you see this progression? He's saying, listen, awake. Realize where you came from. Realize that I want the best for you. Along the way, you're going to have to shake off sin. You're going to have to walk in the light of God's, God's goodness, of walk in the light of God's Word. You're going to have to shake yourselves off from, from distractions. You're going to have to not be stressed out by those that want to uh, scare you or you know, those that want to intimidate you. And along the way, break forth with joy, sing together sing together. And as we do that, let's tell other people about it. Is that fair? Let's tell other people about it. You know how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Can I suggest these words are maybe more relevant today than ever, or as relevant today as ever? How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. This is quoted in uh, Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. Does this world need good news? How much bad news is in this world? Most of it. And the only real good news is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is really the only good news for all the problems that we face today. And we face more problems than we've really in my lifetime, more problems than I can think of. And now is the time where we should say, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. And if I can just say this, this is heavy on my heart right now. Who proclaims peace? I believe we have an opportunity, and I want to lay it out for us. We have a golden opportunity before us, and that is this. I was talking to a guy, a car repair guy lately, uh, last week, and honestly, you can strike this conversation with just about anybody, right? And uh, we're talking about, you know... First of all, if you meet any stranger at Walmart and say, times seem kind of crazy right now, just think, guess what? You're going to strike up a conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. We all resonate with that. And I remember, and this guy, this car repair guy, I said, somehow we were talking about, you know, everybody's all fired up. And I said, you know, I remember the day where two people could disagree on something and sit down and have coffee and talk about it. Catch this? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news and who proclaims peace. Can I suggest that we choose our battles very carefully? Choose our battles very carefully. Most of the battles today that are being fought do not need to be fought. And it's a wide open opportunity for us to engage in civil conversation with people. I have patients that know that we are not aligned politically. Right? And I love to sit and hang with those people and talk about the fact that, you know what, we can disagree in a civil manner. And you know what? If you have that conversation with anybody, that person will walk away knowing, I just had a rare conversation in 2021. I just had a rare conversation. 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And guess what, by the way? There's a good chance that'll usher in a conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You pick a fight with somebody and then try to witness to them? No. Let me know how that works. Yeah. Over something, frankly, that's not worth picking a fight over. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, of him who proclaims peace. Who brings tidings, glad tidings of good things. Who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen will lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they will see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together your waste places of Jerusalem. All these bring such joy and abundance in our lives. Verse 10, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and the, all the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So God's salvation is re revealed to everyone from all the ends of the earth. Depart, depart, go out from there. Again, speaking specifically to uh, the Jewish captives, but again, speaking to us uh, uh, every bit as much. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, be clean. So whatever our slavery is, whatever our, our temptation is, whatever our, our complacency is, whatever our compromise is, depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, be clean. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So God will go before us and behind us. If we just depart from compromise and complacency. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Again, he's now back to the Messiah. And this leads into chapter 53. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men, so he shall so shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. So transitions now into a description of Jesus. And it's important for us to know that all the goodness, all the peace, all the abundant life, all the freedom from sin, all the redemption comes from Jesus Christ our Lord. And only because of him. So, God sometimes allows us to go into captivity, if we so choose, right? So we can kind of learn what it's like, learn enough to know that that's not where we want to be. God gives us the path out of captivity. God wants us to know and experience His goodness. God wants us to not be complacent. God wants to make it all available to us. You know, 2 Peter chapter 1, it always sticks in my mind. God has given us all we need for life and godliness. Everything you need to do the job of living the abundant life has been handed to us. You say, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, you've got this kind of life or that kind of life. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the Lord. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about circumstances. I'm not talking about resources. I'm not talking about people. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking that God fashions each one of us like a master sculptor. He fashions each one of us to live this abundant Christian life. He gives us everything we need to do it. That's either biblically true or it's not. And I believe it's true. God gives us everything we need for abundant life as he defines it, and it's there for us. But for me, the take-home lesson is a fraction of those people left Babylon to come back and grab onto that life. And for us, we want to be that fraction, right? And we want to share, you know, we want to, we want to be the people who, who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, right? But don't miss it. Don't miss it because of compromise. Don't miss it because of worldly things. Don't miss it because of all the noise that we're hearing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your abundant life is there for us. We thank you that just like you set those captives free, Lord, you set us free from sin. 
just like you set those captives free, even though they didn't deserve it. Lord, they, they deserve to stay in captivity. Lord, so do we. And yet you give us abundant life, Lord. You're so amazing. Lord, help us to recognize that. Help us to recognize your goodness. Help us to recognize your love and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, help us to walk in that. Help us to be agents of peace and yet people of conviction. And Lord, only you by your spirit can help us discern those things. But Lord, help us just above all to surrender to you, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and has now sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Lord, you're in control of everything, and we are so thankful. Lord, help us just to surrender to you and have your way with us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.